Hey, Rod. What's happening? Ashwagandha. 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 Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to do it to Chala because I just yeah. can't right now. Um, yeah. That's, 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 that's too, too rough. Is, yeah. Uh, the So we did ashwagandha like back in the early days. I and remember that, this word. At that point, I was adding ashwagandha into my tea as mm. a, in powder form. Mm. And my comment at the time was it tastes like dirt, which is very much true. It does taste a lot like dirt. Fast forward to today, found that you can take it in capsule form. So you don't have to Ooh. taste the dirt. What I have, what I've experienced, uh, I've been taking ashwagandha for about six months now. It has, so it's an adaptogenic herb, uh, which one of the main properties of it is to help with stress and anxiety. And it has a compounding effect over time. So the more you take it, not the more you take, but the longer of a time frame you take it, yeah. the more it helps with you helping you cope with stress and anxiety. Basically, it helps you deal with dynamic situations more, more elastically. And um, adaptogens are things that they basically, they change based on their environment very mm -hmm. rapidly, like super rapidly. And they help you do the same thing. And there's a lot of mm. different herbs and substances. And so I'm a huge fan of ashwagandha. Highly recommend it. Uh, even Rachel's using it now. She likes it. So, yeah, ashwagandha. Mark Go this in a category of Keith might try that. What? <laughs> ashwagandha. <laughs> How? irritating was that in your ear listening to this episode right now <laughs> you're welcome producer produce hey, that leave, leave leave a comment about it leave a comment about it all right welcome back to season four with more in common podcast guys i'm keith your co-host and this season is all about shared american ideals and as we all know there are so many shades to today's america we're so gallantly streaming and all that you know what i'm saying and in these conversations what we're trying to do is bring a modicum that's not true we're trying to bring a whole bunch of compassion and we're trying to make it apparent and and give examples of how to how to do that and agree disagree and talk about these sometimes really difficult topics we're trying to anchor you and humanity in compassionate conversation and today we are with oleg brodsky oleg's family is from moldova and if you don't know where that is it's between ukraine and romania and oleg is a principal scientist um, and he does cancer research. So in the middle of a pandemic, talking about shared American ideals, who better than a zero, generation zero? He moved here when he was 12 with his family. He's got an amazing perspective. We talk a lot about his experience as an immigrant in this country. Um, we talk about those American ideals and what he sees as as what what the dream is for him and his family. We talk a lot about science because we're in the middle of the pandemic, COVID-19. So he has a great perspective. Um, and so we just talk about science and, and the, the use of truths and facts to, to help with arguments and discussions around these topics. So it's an amazing conversation. Super excited to bring it to you today as we and, wrap up season four. And before we, before we get into it quickly, just want to sit down, just kind of 
ask you to step aside with me and have a conversation about that podcast app that you're using, because I believe that it probably has a place where you can rate and review podcasts that you like. Now, we stepped aside, but I'm going to ask you to step aside from stepping aside and have a deeper conversation about people in your life that might be able to benefit from this episode. Please send or share with those that you care about that could benefit from this or any of our conversations. That has been your dad moment brought to you by Rodney Campbell. And you can find us at moreincommonpod.com. And while we take this very silly approach, in all seriousness, we're trying to anchor humanity and compassionate conversation. Let's go. Oh, before we get into it, I just want to talk about audible.com because I love it. I do audiobooks all the time when I'm driving around LA. It's how I love to, it's, it's my preferred way to get books in, frankly. Specifically, I want to talk to you about Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. It's coming to Audible. Now, I've put off reading this graphic novel and the series of novels because, well, I just got a lot going on, but I'm going to get it. It's in my pre-order list right now. Uh, you should think about it. If you've never used Audible, you get a free book and you can go to our website and click the link and use that to get your free book. We do get a little on the back end and we appreciate you for the support. So Neil Gaiman, I would also say Nor- Norse Mythology, really good book. The Audible book is actually read by Neil himself. I really appreciate how he puts his personality into the writing. A little bit funny, uh, some new stories or, or twists, new twists on stories. Uh, from the Norse world that my fantasy nerd self likes. You know, to make is that, you know, pre-1900s or pre-1800s, if you talk about physics, uh, science was very different. We didn't have a scientific method, right? So people, you know, Galileo was not, you know, he was a scientist, but others around him did not appreciate what a scientific method is. I think in you know 21st century and much of 20th century, we got a lot better at uh, doing science. Uh, welcome back to the More in Common podcast. Today we are with Oleg Brodsky. Oleg is a principal scientist with a focus on cancer research at a large pharmaceutical company. He was born in Moldova, which if you don't know, lies between Ukraine and Romania. And at 12, his parents brought him to the States where he was raised in Los Angeles. Now, given the spirit of this season, shared American ideals, and all that is going on um, and will be going on for for the foreseeable future um, with COVID-19, we just had to have him in uh, to discuss so many things. So welcome to the show, Oleg. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. Now, the big reason... So we'll start here. Wait, I really want to hijack your first you question because I have a question. Yeah, because I, I, I remember you told me he's from Moldova, but I forgot. And then so between Ukraine and where? Um, Romania. 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 So is it part of the former USSR? Yes. Or like, Yeah, Yeah, it okay. is. Yeah, it was one Conten- of the states or republics. Is the current relationship with Russia contentious or positive what's the uh it's more complicated there's a little civil war going on in moldova there's 
about half of the population is Russian, so they want to join Russia. And the other wow. half is Romanian, so they want to either join Romania or stay Moldovan. And so they've built a pseudo-state. The half that want to be Russia again are pretending to enforce border patrol and people coming in and going, but no one recognizes it except for themselves. Where is that border? Is it in the middle of Moldova, or is yeah, it, like, it goes. This... There's a river that goes through the country called Dniester, and that's there's a region called before Dniester in Russian, so it's called the Prednestrovia. But um, yeah, good times. It's uh, yeah. very poor. It's one of the poorest countries in Europe, if not the poorest. A few years ago, their um, alcohol consumption was the highest per capita in the world. So. Uh, here's a question. So Europe and Asia and Russia. Yeah. So like technically Russia is in Asia, right? Well, Russia is in Whoa, both Europe and Asia. There's it's a, in both. Yeah, there's Uralian mountains that separate the Europe and Asian continents. Is that does that cause like so do how does that work for so Moldova is squarely in Europe? Yeah, Moldova's in Europe. Um as far as like ethnicity goes, I'm mm -hmm. guessing is where you're going with this. Well, not necessarily ethnicity, just like identity. Um, do yeah. Russians ever say we're Asian? Like we're part we're part of Asia? Is the yeah? There's a large part that's especially like closer to China, right? Uh, that mm -hmm. are um, I mean they they look Asian too. They've definitely migrated from Asia into Russia. Um, so those people probably associate themselves more as Asians. Um, I don't I know think what this is... you find someone as Asian, you know. I was talking to one of my friends who's Japanese earlier this week, and um, I, I we're talking about American ideals. Like here in the U.S., we have s such a limited understanding of Asia, and it's yeah. huge, right? Oh, I mean, it's it's massive. I mean, it's like, India, it's China, it's, it's all yeah. of the all of those places. Yeah, the islands. Yeah, the, like yeah. it's just, the 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 number of languages spoken in the continent are. You know, it's 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 uh, legion, and we you know talking about kind of elections and understanding the voter base. Like we we barely understand like the white and black dynamic in this country. Haven't even scratched the surface of the Asian dynamic in this yeah. country, and we just kind of couch it like you know on the little forms you're filling out for a loan. Yeah. It's like, are you Asian? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like what does that uh, even mean? Yeah, what who who where is that? Yeah, from from oh. Siberia to to the to Bombay, right? Yeah, yeah, and we we group it with the South Pacific too, right? Mm -hmm. It's like Asian yep. slash South yeah. Pacific Islander. Yeah. It's like yeah, okay, why? Which <laughs> yeah. which which kind of looped over to Hawaii, and it's like yeah. wait, like... <laughs> this is this doesn't quite make sense. Where where. We're American slash uh, Filipino, right? Like, yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> let's just lump it all together. Um, so, it, has Moldova always been one of the poorest countries in the USSR, formerly and now in the in Europe? Um, I don't know historically, but yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely they're landlocked, so there's no sea access. Right. Um, they have really no natural resources except for, uh, I think, their biggest industry is wine making so um hence the drinking hence the drinking it's also like in the villages there's no the water's really unsafe to drink because it's all well water and so uh they start drinking wine from really early age just because it's safe safer. water yeah yeah 
you know, here's a bias. I'm like, uh, why isn't it? Why isn't it vodka? Mm. That's the primary drink, and and that's just a bias. That's just a yeah. stupid American like, oh, Russians drink Russia, vodka. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. like, I mean, realistically, vodka. You know, you're not gonna get up in the morning and drink a cup of vodka because you're thirsty. So, I mean, um. I might. <laughs> Some people <laughs> might argue with you on that, Ole. Who was it? Wasn't it the King of France that did like a vodka diet or Queen? Was it Queen or King? I don't know. There was a vodka diet somebody did. It sounds sounds uh, healthy. Yeah, it um, sounds, sounds pretty good. Do Do you go back ever? I mean, you 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 stay close to the politics. I don't stay too close to the. I mean, I just you know personal interest. Of course, I want to know what's going on once in a while and yeah. Articles that pop up in my news feed, I'll check out. But no, I've never been back. It's pretty poor there still. It's, you know, it's generally safe, people say. But it's, you know, just like any other poor country, you just have to be pretty careful coming from the West. Do you have family there still? No, we had everyone left. Everybody everyone, left. Yeah, I had about 100 relatives that moved to LA within one or two years of us moving there. And then wow. the rest moved to other places that they could get to and so that was in 1990 when you moved right you were 12 yeah, yeah we left in 1989 we spent about a month in austria and then about three months in italy on the way and then i turned 12 in italy and then we came to us in february of 1990 what was that like for you and for the family, I mean, that's that's a yeah. you come from a landlocked place that's USSR at the time going through the Cold War, and the Berlin or not yeah, the, the wall came wall, down. The wall yeah, the Berlin came wall down came in, down in ninety two, wasn't it? Eighty nine. Eighty nine. We so right yeah. around that time, like this is a big period of time. Not to mention Americans don't love immigrants for its yeah. history, right? So like, yeah, and you're twelve. So you're at a perfect age to to be doing all of this stuff. Like, what's that like? What was that like? Yeah, for I think it was cool because we came with three generations. So my parents came, and my dad's parents were with us, and then me and my sister. So uh, we all had, I think, really different experiences. For my sister and I, it was um, just mostly fun and exciting because. Um, you know, it was something new. We skipped out of school for most of the year because we left Russia in October, I think, of 1989. And we didn't go back to school till we got to L.A. till about March of 1990. So we skipped most of the school year. And we got to basically run around and play and do what kids do. Um, other than language, obviously. I didn't speak any English when I got here, so that was pretty stressful. Uh, for my How parents, long did that take for you to learn English? It took, let's see, I was in ESL through eighth grade, and then in ninth grade, so about two years, three years, and then by ninth grade, I was back in regular English. And then, Did anybody in the family speak English? Uh, my dad took English in college for a little bit, but it was definitely not fluent. It was, you know, maybe beginner to moderate level, but he was the first to get a job when we got here, and then... My mom took English lessons for about six or nine months and then um, got a job after that. So for them, it was definitely a different experience because obviously a lot more responsibility and stress and, you know, having to support the family and a lot of unknowns. Uh, as kids, we didn't, my sister and I, my sister's five years younger, so she was even less aware. 
Um, but yeah, it was to Keith's question about so American not Americans not liking immigrants, and I I wonder if any country likes immigrants. And then no, it's actually I don't think any of them do, especially Western ones. But even yeah. Japan, China, Japan doesn't like immigrants. Japan's pretty isolationist. Yeah. What about yeah. Canada? Might I don't. The think most so. diverse city in the in the world is in Canada. Yeah, but do they like it if they're yeah? yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We should, um, but the question is this: uh, So we got that—the dislike of immigrants—and then the Cold War. So, like, what was the yeah. sentiment towards your family? So, so yeah, so the the Berlin Wall came down when we were actually on the way. Um, we didn't speak German in Austria or Italian in Italy, so we didn't watch the news at all. We didn't. There was no internet, so we got to uh, LA. I think is when my parents realized that the wall came down. So that was. Shocking, obviously. Um, again, for kids, it was we were a lot less aware, right? At 11 or 12, I barely knew what a Berlin Wall was and the significance of it. Um, but uh, the, the, you know, people here were generally friendly. We landed in the West Hollywood in LA, which is a fairly large Russian community. So um, I think people were. I mean, LA in general is more tolerant than, you know, Alabama. And we Facts. ended up in a Russian community, so it was uh, fairly, I didn't notice too much discrimination or, um, you know, my, my teacher in elementary school was an American teacher, but he spoke Russian <laughs> fairly fluently, so that was helpful. So he had some affinity towards the culture. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. Was it what your parents expected? That's a tough question. Um, Is that an American dream question? Yeah, like, because you hear a lot, you know, when you come from a, a downtrodden country that is dire straits economically, I mean, that's a shitty place to be. And you come to the States and it's a common thread of story that it's like, it isn't what we expected for a whole litany of different reasons, but there's at least food and water, right? Like, so there's, there's a plus there. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, uh, it was honestly for them, I'm guessing is probably, it was better than they thought it would be. We left um, uh, Russia mostly because my family is Jewish. So they were uh, very prosecuted in Russia for being Jewish. Wow. And so, um, and in addition, you know, I was really poor. So, I mean, people survived on bare necessities, basically, you know, getting toilet paper once in a while at a store was a big thing, which until recently, we didn't know what that felt like, right? Until a few months ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, now we all know what it feels like to not be able to get toilet paper. Yeah. Yeah. So, is... uh, for them, for them, it was a, sorry to interrupt, Rodney. It was, no, um, it was, uh, I think, uh, better than, I mean, you know, we, we showed up here within a few months. My dad got a job. We were able to get an apartment for ourselves and live, the four of us. And my dad's parents got their own apartment, which for the first time happened. So oh, wow. in Russia, we lived together, six people in one little tiny apartment. Uh, so I think for them right away, it was they could taste the freedom and realize that, um, you know, the harder you work, the better the rewards. Um. I think Rodney, you had a question. 
Yeah, I was going to highlight my American ignorance on history um, and ask a couple questions about being Jewish in Russia. So I know, like, or I think prior to the war, war, the Second World War, Russia and Germany were already fighting or there was already some conflict. And then uh, there the was war some... happens. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, remember. The war happened, and we know that, like, <laughs> Jew, we know that Jews were highly persecuted. Well, highly persecuted in Germany and surrounding countries, um, but the Germans and Russians were fighting, and then that evolved into the World War. Like, I'm just curious on anything you know about that time frame because I seriously don't know. And then, two, like, what's the what was the experience, or at least the the, the experience shared with you about being Jewish in Russia? Yeah. So. Um... Historically, back in First World War, uh, the Russian Revolution happened in the middle of First World War. So, because the Russian Revolution was in 1917, and I think the World War One ended in 1918. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, Russia largely did not participate in the First World War. So, I don't think there was any uh, ill sentiment between Germany and Russia then. When um, World War II was starting around 1938 to 39. Uh, Hitler had a pact actually with Stalin that they weren't going to attack each other. So Russia was going to let Germany do what it There's was going to do. There's two trustworthy guys. Yeah, right? <laughs> hey, have a handshake deal. <laughs> um, so Russia was going to stay out of stay out of what Germany was doing. And then uh, in, the, in return, Russia was going to gobble up a couple of countries around itself. So... It took pieces of Poland and pieces of Romania, which is actually how Moldova became a republic. And then uh, Ukraine too, right? Parts of Ukraine were not Russia until or USSR. Right. Uh, but then Hitler attacked Germany, attacked Russia anyways, the USSR. And so that point, yeah. Um, and then Russia during World War II, Russia made a big effort to actually protect its Jewish population to some extent, at least. Uh, mm-hmm. They uh, tried to, you know move people away from the front so that they wouldn't get captured by Germans and get killed. So my mom's family actually ended up uh, getting moved to uh, Georgia, Russian Georgia, which was, um, you know, a lot further east. So um, uh, away from the front. And then my dad's dad ended up getting shipped to Siberia, of all places, to uh, uh, get away. Yeah, but... um, uh, is so two questions real quick. Yeah. One, did Germany make much progress into Russia in World War II? Do you know? Yeah. So Germany had uh, Saint Petersburg, which was then Leningrad. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, they had it surrounded. Mm-hmm. Right. There was a blockade. Uh, they never captured the city, but they surrounded it. Uh, and you know, the Allies were doing airdrops to support the city, but for. Um, about two years at least, maybe two to three years, it was blockaded. So um, people ate, you know, rats and dogs and cats, whatever they could eat. And it was really poor. They were running out of things. Um, it's, um... fast. it's it's terrifying and fascinating to me that I don't know any of this. I'm, I mean, I can get some of it from movies. That's Most of this that I know, frankly, is from movies. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm asking because I'm, I'm like, that's probably all fake. Uh, <laughs> but just being an American, like, we're not taught shit. Like... Yeah. I don't like about World War Two. Like I know about World War One and Franz Ferdinand. Like I know that because of other stuff. Nothing right. to do with school. Yeah. And it's actually quite sad. 
Um, yeah, and World War II education is it anchors on Axis powers, Allied powers, and the yeah. fight against yeah. uh, against Hitler in Germany. It right. doesn't talk about the the impacts like this, right? right? Your parents being like your dad's dad, your grandpa being moved to Siberia. Um, yeah. Just they so he doesn't get thrown into a, a concentration camp, right? Like, yeah. What an awesome choice, right? right. Like, like that's well, that's, that's a life experience, question. right? Yeah. Is Siberia as bad as we're told it is here? I mean, is it a frozen tundra wasteland? Yeah. <laughs> I've never been, so I mean, I don't know, but I, I imagine it is. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, I've been to fairly far north places in Canada and Alaska, and I can imagine hey. what it's what it's like in Siberia with uh, less resources and less money. As long as my it. stereotype matches up with yours, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. And they got cool tigers. So, um, the uh, uh, but yeah, to to just finish up on that yeah. thought, you know, if you fast forward to today or 20 years ago when we left, um, you know, Russians started uh, prosecuting Jews and other minorities too, not just Jews, right? Like gypsies were uh, heavily prosecuted, uh, Armenians. Uh, pretty much, you know, like uh, race relations in U.S. times a thousand, I guess. Um, you know, pe people in USSR used to have in their passports their ethnicity. So, um, you know, when you applied for school or for a job, everyone knew that you were Jewish. And so, um, you know, my dad wanted to really go to medical school when he was going to college. And he was told he can't because he's Jewish. Um, he couldn't get promoted at work. A bunch of times because he was Jewish, uh, so yeah, it was it was definitely uh, avert. You know, here you may run into racist people, and it may be more covered or it's more subtle. Uh, there was just basically um, um, sanctioned by the government and out in the open. So, we... so that existed at the same time, like the government was protecting its Jewish population, well, but the then at the I think the government protected the population during World War II, and then, and, 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 you know, and over time, if you fast forward over 40 years, right, things yeah. slowly changed. Um, hmm. I don't know if they really, you know, they didn't want people to die, obviously, um, and they recognized probably that having a diverse population helps in terms of being, you know, productive country, and so they wanted to keep people there. Uh, but people were definitely discriminated against. Do you, so we talk to go in a little Wait, can bit I ask of one a, more question on this? Yeah. You brought up Armenian. Uh, I had never met an Armenian until I moved to L.A., and it wasn't until several years after that that I learned about the Armenian genocide. Yeah. And so was there a large Armenian population? Because I know they basically scattered, like, to for safety. and protect, like, Were there many Armenians in Moldova or Russia that... In, in Moldova, no, but Armenia was a republic of USSR, right? So in Armenia, there was a lot of Armenians, obviously, by definition. Fair. Um, uh, and so... Yep. And, I'll take it. I'll believe you. <laughs> I think that's a good calculation. Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in, and of course, people moved around, right, over years. So uh, in USSR, especially like Moscow and St. Petersburg and larger cities, there was a fair amount of Armenians. And other minorities um in moldova it wasn't moldova was basically a shithole country or republic so um it wasn't... should we add should we have trump add it to yeah his list? i mean Definitely. do you think he would 
Do you think? I mean, it's yeah, white, we can so I don't it. know if he would. Like, <laughs> um, These guys, they have wine. It's not a shit hole. <laughs> yeah. not, they drink he, it in the morning. <laughs> he, doesn't, he, he doesn't drink wine though. So, um, um, the okay. we talk a lot about the um, a gener this generational trauma that often happens because and it in a lot of the science is around Holocaust families. You know, um, yeah. your parents experience. How old are your parents? My parents are seventy and sixty-six. So they would have been born after World War II. Yeah, my dad was yeah. born in 1950. Yeah. Mom is 54. Um, and but not that long. I mean, long enough. But yeah. then for to see this this progression of state-sponsored discrimination and what type of impact has that had on you? Yeah, it's a difficult question. I mean, my, my parents are Republican and very conservative Republican, so their view of current events is probably different than mine. Well, it's definitely different than mine. Um, so they don't see, especially in the United States, some of the um, racial injustices that occur, in my opinion. Do do you think it has anything to do with the fact that like they've been there too, in a different way? I mean, uh, I don't know. Probably um, again, difficult question. Um, yeah. Well, I guess did it affect you growing up, like personally? Did, did, um, did... It, it did a little bit. I mean, like I said, I, I landed in LA, but you know, I've. Since then, I, I grew up, I traveled more and got out of L.A. And, you know, I have an accent. So, you know, I've been to rural Pennsylvania, for example, where, you know, I start talking and people realize I'm not from here and gets a little sketchy right away. Hmm. So going into, the, the, you brought up your parents. Um, you all have different ideas. Clearly, they have a different background and they got you here. Yeah. Um, and we're talking this season about shared American ideals. I'm curious to ask this in a different way than I've asked others for this season. Like, based on your just lived experience and seeing what Moldova is and where you came from, like, what does that mean to you, the American ideal or deals? Um, well, I think to to me and to my parents when they left, it was, you know, the pursuit of happiness and comfort and, you know, hard work pays off and the more you, you know, sweat and tears pay off and you get rewarded in the end and, you know, the opportunities to do whatever you want to do with your life to uh, pursue your dreams if you want to become you know, a doctor or whatever you want to become, you can become. Um, if you want to travel the world, you can do that. If you want to, you know, start your own business, you can do that. Um, and the idea that everyone is more or less equal and, you know, no one's going to judge you for, um, you know, being an immigrant or being Jewish, having certain beliefs, being, you know, looking different, sounding different. I think that was the uh, the the ideal in a 
people's heads when they look at the America from outside. Do you think that has lived up to your lived expectations in the in the country? I mean, I think it's relative, right? That's having lived here for a long time now, I can see that it's not a perfect system. Um, comparing it to Moldova, it's a lot better. You know, it's infinitely better. Um, you know, comparing it to other countries too. So I think, you know, it depends on how you look at it from a relative perspective compared to other countries. It's a lot better, um, but it's not perfect and it's got a lot of room for improvement. And that's what makes it another, maybe another ideal is that it's constantly evolving and it's, you know, it's a really young country, but it's been able to achieve a lot and uh, morph a lot faster than some of the other countries that took uh, maybe thousands of years to get to the same spot. Hmm. You'd mentioned uh, kind of some of that, hmm. like the, you know, you can be whatever you want to be, like is one of the ideals. Um, how did that, how did that play out in your household? Did your, did, did your parents support that or did they have an idea for you and your sister of what they wanted you to be? They definitely did. Um, and my sister and I think broke all of those, um, you know, ideals for what we should be. So true American fashion. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I don't you want know, your national change. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, my parents were really insistent on uh, me going into medical school. And I put that dream to rest in like a first year of college because I was like, I don't want to be a doctor. Um, you know, I, I uh, my parents, it's funny. They, um, you know, they, they there's a lot of, um, like a racial tension in immigrants, right? And people don't talk about it too much, I guess. Or maybe they do, I don't know. Uh, but immigrants tend to be very racist too. And it's because, you know, we grew up in Moldova. I've I've seen one black person in Moldova in my whole life. Mm. And it was obviously, you know, a foreigner walking through for some reason, uh, being there for business or pleasure. I have no idea. But, you know, that was the only time I've seen a black person. Uh, and so when we got to LA, you know, West Hollywood is fairly diverse, despite being a, you know, Russian community, it's got a pretty big gay community. And then obviously, um, being a Southern California, big city, it's uh, fairly diverse in race. And so my parents took a long time to adjust to, you know, weird people walking around, you know, mm. um, you know, and did do and, you have yeah. any insight into their journey on that? Like, did they did? Would you say they fully? I, I don't. I want to be like. I don't want to say fully adjusted because like people are where they are. Um, but like, what do you have any insight into their journey on? I think accepting I, different people. I I think you're right. That's basically like uh, it's you know you've been indoctrinated into this idea, right? That's not it's not their fault that they are the way they are. It's just that they've never seen any diversity their whole life until they got here. And so, you know, just like a little kid, right? If, if you have kids, you walk in, my daughter the other day on the walk looked over and the lady walking by and said, dad, is that an old lady? <laughs> and the lady started laughing and she's like, I'm not old yet, but my daughter's <laughs> like, well, she looked old to me, you know? So kids, kids are like that, right? Like we, they don't, have like a little <laughs> stop in their head that says think before you say something and i think adults that have never been exposed to any racial diversity in the same way so when they first got here everything looked weird to them right a guy with long hair looked weird to them 
because it was like I've never seen a guy wearing a long hair before. Why is he wearing long hair? Is he trying to be a girl? And it's like no, he just wants to have long hair. Who cares? Um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a continuous journey. You know, it's a continuum is a good word. It's you know you never. I don't think any one of us ever get to the end, right? We're just on a different uh, continuous point. Um, yeah, there's like always a new... It's progress. It's always moving yeah. forward. You know? yeah. yeah. And do you think you you said earlier that you traveled? Yeah. Um, do you think that helped you diversify your frame of, of your perspective? I think it helps for sure. Um you know, you, we have, like you said, you know, if never, having never been to Moldova, you probably have some concepts about it that are not accurate, right? Until you get there. Um, so we all have these subconscious, unconscious, and maybe even conscious preconceptions about what we think places are, right? And then we get there, and then some of them are true, and then other things you're like, oh, this is not how I thought it would be. Uh, so yeah, it definitely helps. It sets, everything else in perspective too. So then you can appreciate the things you have in your own home, right? When you get back. So did you, so you bucked the trend of going to medical school, first year of school. How did your parents receive that? I mean, they were a little disappointed, get but they were, okay. <laughs> they, they were okay with it. I was still in the science major, so they were supportive. Um, you know, they really encouraged me to uh, date Jewish girls, and I'm happy to say I've never dated a Jewish girl in my life. And then I wait. Uh, pause. Do the pause. Opposite time of what out. They said. Why are you happy to say that? Well, I guess I'm not happy to say that, but it was just more of like a rebellious. Um, yeah. You're happy to not have obliged yeah. their yeah their I don't know cultural demand, if you will. Right to yeah. spite them. Yeah, I, yeah. I never dated a. Jewish girl in my life. Got it. Um, and I married the Asian girl, right? A, a Vietnam. My wife's Vietnamese, but born in a refugee camp in Indonesia and grew up in Canada. So, wow. Um, you know, we're you. You two have some. We should be some history. To her. Yeah, <laughs> to like, <laughs> we're goodness. <laughs> goodness gracious. Um, um, I, on this point, real quick, I, I, I actually was actually more on the last one, but. Um, you said something coming into all of this before we started recording about trying to understand that people have different opinions, like as you approach things. Yeah. Um, I'm one. So to kind of to Keith's question about traveling, does traveling play into that at all? Does just coming to America and having different opportunity play? Like how, how is that? How have you come to a place or like what is your framework around that? And then how'd you come to it? Um, I mean, my my framework is basically to just have an open mind, right? Um, just go into a situation and not try not to um, you know, try to set your biases apart and just read the situation for what it is. And then also before I speak, I try to think and recognize that you know people may have a different opinion or belief um i fail at that a lot of times but you know hopefully get that right sometimes but yeah coming to i mean traveling i think again it just 
the more the more we get exposed to different environments, different people, different thought processes, different backgrounds. Um, it definitely makes us more aware, at least, of, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everyone's point of view or beliefs, mm-hmm. but um, makes me more aware of it. And hopefully I'm a little more cautious when I, you know, come converse with people so I don't offend anyone. I was kind of hoping you were going to point to that chart behind you that seems like some ridiculously intense flow chart. And you're like, this is my framework. (laughs) (laughs) Let me break it down for you. (laughs) Um, So let's use a, I I will kind of want to tie a few things together, but using kind of a real world example, because we're, we're big advocates for that whole concept of meeting people where they are. Like everybody has their own lived experience, their own life, and it's going to frame how they are, what they are, think what they think. You mentioned your parents are, it seems to be very conservative. Um, and you study, I don't know, does that, before I go into the question, does that also correlate to their perspective on uh, the coronavirus? Yeah, I mean, they get a lot of their information from news media. um, And by choice, they listen to mostly conservative news. And so that frames, you know, I try to, you know, use facts against that, but uh, I fail a lot. So how do you say that again? You try to use Fox, <coughs> not Fox, facts. facts, facts. Oh, so I heard that wrong. Oh, yeah. Not yeah. I got yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so let me just keep real quick keep going and finish. I'm going to put a pin in facts. Yeah. Put a pin in facts. Yeah. Um, because this season has that, that has come up a lot. Um, Cohen did not expect it coming into this. Um, so now you take your, your framework and the fact that you study biology from for a living right like this is this is your line of study your area of expertise how do you then approach a conversation with them yeah so i mean you know i approach it like a scientist so scientists you know we make a hypothesis and then test it and then use existing information to support it and then reach a conclusion one way or another. So either the hypothesis is wrong or it's right. And then you keep going. Uh, so that's how I approach it with them. And, you know, I think it, it, it helps at least dispel some of the biggest um, misconceptions about the coronavirus, but um, it's, you know, a lot of times, and I try to, you know, get it down to, you know, plain English and discussion. So don't use, you know, big scientific words or terms, terminology. Um, and, you know, I, I try to send them, you know, papers and articles about, you know, this and that study to support what I'm saying and dispel what they believe. But, um, you know, hopefully some of it gets through. Some of it does get through. Um but then, you know, they go back to listen to whatever they listen to. And then sometimes I get frustrated. It's a hoax. Just, yeah. Or, you you know, you start over. It's like, I just told you this two days ago, you know, and we're back to square one again. You didn't learn anything. So, uh, so before yeah, we go into facts, maybe uh, would you like, what do we know? And by we, I mean you, but 
you know. Well, I'm not an expert on coronavirus, so I mean, I just I can I'm yeah. probably read more than an average person does about it, but yeah. So like, um, where, where, or like, what are the things you're thinking about it? About yeah. It right well, now? I mean, what, what, what we I'll I'll start with what we know. A quick summary of what I think we know. Because um, it's know, changing. Yeah, it's changing, uh, and th- that's part of science, right? Science changes all the time. It's a yeah. brand new virus. It's been around no, for it's static. It's always the same. <laughs> um, you know, we we know it uh, most likely came from an animal, most likely a bat. It uh, most likely came into people by accident. Um, it most likely started in Asia, probably in China. Um, it. Uh, you know, it's very infectious. It's got a death rate of about 0.1 to 1% of documented cases. Um, and we know... Which in compared to the flu, which is what, 0.01, right? Yeah, flu, flu people, big misconception with flu is, um, first of all, flu is also underreported a lot, right? Yeah. The documented cases of flu are probably People feel fine staying at home and beating it more often than not, right? And also you don't go get tested for it because you just go, I got a flu, but it doesn't get documented as a flu case, right? Uh, so the ones that are documented are a small percentage of actual flu cases per year. Uh, the other problem, or not problem, but the other difference with flu is uh, United States is, uh, reaches herd immunity with flu with only about 15 or 20% of infections because uh, 40 to 50% of people get vaccinated every year. So that gives what you is of... herd immunity for those who may not have heard of it? Herd immunity is uh, a concept that at some point there's enough people in the population that have already had the virus and are now immune to it, uh, where the rest of the people uh, would not be able to infect them anymore. And so imagine if 70% of people have already had it and cannot get sick again from it. Uh, the remaining 30% that are walking around, uh, if one of them gets sick, chances are seven out of 10 people that they come across cannot get sick from them. And so that reduces the transmission rate by, you know, more than by a lot. And so uh, eventually the virus just uh, dies off, the infection dies off because there's just not enough people to infect anymore. And so for each each virus, it's uh, different, the number itself. Uh, it depends on how infectious the virus is, uh, how long the immunity lasts, and all the other things. Um, but for for the new coronavirus, it's estimated that we'd need to get to about 60 to 70 percent um, herd in order to get to the herd immunity. Uh, it's the same idea that we use with vaccines, right? Like a measles vaccine. Uh, measles is super infectious, right? The R naught, which people talk about with coronavirus, which is the infectivity rate, how many people a sick person is likely to infect with measles is about 13 or something. So it's really high by comparison with corona. That. Yeah. With coronavirus, it's about 2.5 to three. Right. Um, wow. Yeah. So with measles, in order to get to herd immunity, you need to get to, you know, like mid nineties. Yeah. Nineties. Yeah. You need to be at like 95% people immune in order to keep it at bay. And that's why, and you know, some people cannot get the vaccine. Uh, because they're allergic or other medical conditions. And then in a few people, the vaccine doesn't actually build immunity, so they're still uh, potentially uh, in danger. So 
isn't um, immunity like immunity with coronavirus like what do we know about that and we don't know a lot that's a big question yeah. um until you know until we try it out we don't know so um because there know, are can... cases of of reinfection or at least even, suspected even cases well, yeah that's that's questionable too because you know the, the way we test for coronavirus right now for an active infections with a test called pcr which stands for polymerase chain reaction it's a really sensitive test right it's a test that picks up it can detect basically a single molecule of RNA, which is the genetic material inside the virus. So just because we can detect it doesn't mean that you're infectious again, right? Or mm. infected. Uh, mm. It could just be that one cell in you happened to get infected again and spewed out some RNA that we detected. It's similar. I just used the analogy recently. It's kind of like when we test water now, right? We're so good at testing stuff, we can get down to like parts per trillion. And so you can test like uh, drinking water and say, well, there's radioactivity in there because one part per trillion is radioactive, but it's completely meaningless, right? It just means that we've gotten better with our technology to actually detect really minute things. Mm. But, uh, it's similar. So we've improved with the, the tech, but we haven't imp- updated the thinking around the tech. Well, we need we... to, we need to, under, people need to put it into, you know, proper context. So. Um, we don't, the, 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 the plain answer is we don't really know whether people can get reinfected. Mm. Uh, we don't know how long the immunity is going to last. You know, it could last three months. It could last six months. It could last a year. It could last a lifetime. We don't know yet. Um, we don't know if vaccines are going to work. We don't know if vaccines are going to afford us the same immunity as people that have recovered on their own. We don't know how long that immunity would last. So, um, all those things need to be answered before we can make hmm. decisions about what to do next. Has has think... the virus mutated? Yeah, viruses, know? all viruses mutate. So, I mean, you know, even our DNA slowly mutates. Every time you make a copy, there's some rate at which uh, DNA mutates. So hmm. it's a, it's basically imagine like a factory that has to make millions of the same steps every imagine copying a book if you're copying a book by hand chances are you're going to make a couple of mistakes here and there every time you make a copy um so the the question is how how quickly mutates mm. uh, and this virus doesn't seem to mutate very fast which is good for us um it has a yeah because really we're already lo- behind well it, it it gives us hope that the vaccines would be um successful or at least have some partial uh therapeutic effect um you know the virus is a fairly large uh sequence of genetic material which by definition made it evolve to have a low rate of mutation because the longer the dna or the longer the genetic material that uh encompasses the virus the more likely is that if it's uh makes a lot of mistakes when it copies itself it would mess something up and so it would die off. And so um, just by nature of it being a big sequence of RNA, it's um, a relatively low rate of mutation, which is good again. Uh, but it, yeah, it does mutate. And as you would expect, you know, over time, if you unleash a virus on a large population, um, virus that mutated to be a little more or a lot more uh, infectious is going to take over the main population which is what seems to be happening in us and uh it it should also get less lethal because 
you know, as virus mutates, um, if it gets less lethal, chances are people that get sick would infect more people. And so those strains that mutated to be less lethal would predominate over time in the population. It's it's the it's the good news, bad news. It's it's it, it can infect more people, but more fewer people are going to die. Um, kind of like the flu, right? Yeah, and um, I mean it's just doing what it's expected to. It's, do. I mean it's just a natural it, selection of work. Viruses are like the the quintessential survival of the fittest uh, yeah. definitions in in the world. You know, uh, yeah, they are Darwinian to the to the to the T. Yeah, if if someone argues that evolution is not real, just point them to a virus yeah. or you know an epidemic. It's a explain this to me, buddy. Yeah. Uh, epidemic versus pandemic. What's the definition of epidemic? Epidemic what, is the... just epidemic. It's just um, geographical. So epidemic is one or a few countries or continents localized. Yeah, yeah. and then pandemic is multi-continent. Cool. I think, but yeah, uh, but yeah, it's just semantics. Cool. So, what do you take? This is actually going to be my first question. What do you think about the? the existence of politics around the coronavirus right now? Well, I mean, some of it is expected, but some of it is ridiculous, right? Like the mask wearing was, I think it's just ridiculous. Um, we know for sure now there's no debate that, you know, wearing masks would prevent some spread uh, and the way it was politicized. Can we, can we, can we dig in on that real quick? Cause I yeah. think this is really important because I think there's, there's a lot of information out there. There's uh, there are studies that suggest that um, masks don't help um, because of the size of the the virus relative to the spacing of the cloth within the mask, so it's not catching anything. And then you have the studies that are regionally based, like in Germany, where they implemented mask wearing as well as other conditions like social distancing and other things where they see a complete drop off on cases over time. So can you, I, I think there's a really important um, dig in on this, uh, you know, by the time this comes out, hopefully, you know, I don't know if we're still having this conversation. I can guarantee it um, come September, but like, can you get into some more of the detail on that as far as you know, in general, as it yeah. relates to masks um, and, and it's impact? Yeah, so, so as far as I know, so um, we know that the virus, you know, there's some debate right now whether the virus is aerosolized. It probably is to some extent, but uh, the main route of transmission is through droplets. Probably the droplets are much bigger than the single virus particle, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's a liquid droplet that's made up of mostly our saliva and mucus that we cuff up or sneeze out or just expel when we talk. And then there's uh, probably hundreds of thousands of virus particles in that droplet. And so the droplet itself is much bigger. Um, without getting into details about you know the cloths on the masks and what cloths and the distance between them, uh, just empirically, so just if you do the experiment, like you said, in Germany, for example. And uh, people have observed that if you study a population, population that wears a mask is a lot less likely to uh, transmit the virus. So we know that it stops the transmission or prevents it to a large degree. So um, 
I, I don't think there's any debate in science about that. Um, the debate is largely in the news media and political circles. Um, you know, the it science seems is like it's a big. Um, I don't. I don't know if you ever watched that video that our boss sent us, Keith. Like this is like two or three weeks into Corona. It might have actually been prior. I think it was prior to. Oh LA. yeah, the um, the, uh, the Boston. A medical boss. No, he's in New York. Oh, he was he's a, a, that's right. Um, that's right. A surgeon, a surgeon in New York at, right. a, at a large hospital that was working. He was working 100% ICU like Corona cases, and he's like, "Here's what we." He was doing a Zoom call to like inform his friends. Oh yeah, so I this is that. like yeah, yeah. So this is like, th- I'm pretty sure this is before any stay at home orders had to been officially issued. Yeah, this was in March. Yeah, yeah, and he was just like, "Yo, like, here's what we know. Like, why you should wear a mask. Like, it probably like." If it is airborne, it probably will not keep you from uh, contracting it through the right. mask. But if you have it and you're contagious, it will reduce to some degree. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the the latest study. So the there's a big. I just read a review a couple of weeks ago. So there was a review of other papers, right? So it's a secondary research. It's not mm. as strong as primary research, but it's still valid. Um, they estimated that if you're wearing a mask and you're six feet away, uh, you can reduce the transmission by as much as 70 or 80%. Uh, so if a sick person's having a mask on, right? Right. Yeah, me, like a healthy person, having the mask on is probably not doing much to prevent you from catching it. But if a sick the person thing is how has we a mask don't know who's infectious. Exactly. Then you can be asymptomatic for up to or what, five to seven days or pre-symptomatic. For, uh, okay, yeah. So asymptomatic, are you saying, are you correcting asymptomatic to be pre-symptomatic or are they diff- two different things? Well, they're two different things, technically. Um, a- asymptomatic just means without symptoms, right? Mm. That's just the science term for not sim- no symptoms. Pre-symptomatic means before symptoms, so... Uh, you know, by definition, pre-symptomatic people will go on to have symptoms. Um, but still the, be infectious. Yeah, so you can be infectious in both cases. People, uh, it's now documented and well understood that, you know, maybe 20, 30% of people that get sick probably never show symptoms, uh, but they can still spread the virus. And then the other 80% uh, are by definition, again, pre-symptomatic before they have symptoms and they can still spread virus when they're pre-symptomatic. So, you know, if someone feels the bottom line is someone can feel totally fine, but be sick and be mm-hmm. infectious. As with other things that we know of, like HPV and all kinds yeah, of other stuff. Exactly. Um, which, by the way, is ridiculous that there aren't tests for men and HPV, but that's a whole nother story. Um, I have a question. So I think this kind of leads really nicely into facts. Mm. Um, since you brought it up earlier, yeah, you being a, a, a gentleman of science, you probably appreciate facts to a level that maybe even I don't. I mean, I don't know. I like science, but um, what what is a fact to you? And how, like, as you're having this conversation with your parents, for instance, yeah, uh, like, how do you see facts playing out or not playing out in those conversations? Yeah, so for me, fact is, when it comes to science, right, fact is something that's been extensively discussed and debated in scientific literature and has been put to rest, basically, where, you know, the way science works in general is, you know, it's a peer-reviewed process. 
it's not perfect, but it's the best thing people have come up with. Um, you basically come up with a hypothesis, you do some experiments to show that your hypothesis is right, and then you publish it, and then everyone else tries to disprove it. Oh, and, in it and yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, and so, you know, it meanders back and forth for a while in, in discussions and scientific literature, and then eventually everything converges generally. So when you get convergence where, you know, 95% of 99% of literature says, yeah, I got the same result, uh, that to me is a fact. Um, you know, so then if I repeat it and it doesn't work, I'm going to think I did something wrong before I think that what they said was wrong. Um, and so that's that's how I apply it. Wait, to... say that last part again. You're gonna think that what you did was wrong before you think what they did was wrong. What? Well, that's I... wild. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna look in words first. In case you don't know you what said? sarcasm is, let's clearly yeah. define the sarcasm here. <laughs> yes, science is fun because I get to be wrong most of the time, and that's totally acceptable, right? So I make probably 50 hypotheses a day in my work and 49 of them are probably wrong. Um, but that's fine. That's cool. Cause one of them is hopefully right. That's why you like, still get them. Like, like Franklin said, I didn't learn 10,000 ways. Not there. Was it? I learned 10,000 ways. I didn't fail 10,000 times. I learned 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or Edison, not Franklin. Edison. Yeah. yeah. Edison. Um, um so, so yeah, so that that's what's fact. That's what the fact is. Nikolai, but, you so know. how, as a scientist, like this is this is something that forever fascinates me in our in our common discourse, right? Like, ninety five percent, because I mean, this is the reality of the history of humankind, right? It was a fact that the Earth was was flat. It was a fact that the Earth revolved or the Sun revolved around the Earth. It was a it was a fact that we used to treat people with. Uh, cocaine and heroin and all these other mm. ways of treating illness a or a lot of different things, especially before 1900. And it evolves, right? And you talk about that 95% accuracy. How is it in your community? Like, how do you manage the idea? Global warming is a good example. Yeah. You have a global consensus that will simplify yep. it at its finest that there is a man-made influence or a person-made influence on the climate in a negative yep. way, right? Yep. Um, yet there are still scientists out there who will make the claim that all of those people are wrong because of whatever. They're not taking that approach necessarily, which fuels this nasty and gnarly debate and division around what facts actually are. So yeah. how do we better navigate that? Like, do you have any, you do it all the time. So. Yeah. So the way, I mean, perfect example, global warming. Um, you know, I'm not a, a climatologist, so I leave it up to the experts to debate. But when, like you said, 95, 98% of climatologists agree that it's a man-made scenario and it's negatively contributing to the climate. Uh, then I take them for their word, right? If someone came at me and said, uh, what I get a lot is, you know, some, you know, some guy on the couch arguing with a climatologist that, hey, you're wrong, I'm right. Uh, it's similar to me to someone coming at me with, you know, having a background, me having a background in cancer research and a climatologist trying to argue that, 
you know what, this, this uh, cancer treatment is not right. This is the right one. Um, you know, I, I leave it up to the experts, I think, to, um, why no, to, uh, to decide what's fact, right? Uh, and the experts have agreed on climate change, I think. Uh, the problem is we give, you know, media gives unfair advantage to these uh, quacks, right? People, even scientists can be biased. Um, and then bias can be everybody. Everybody is, yeah. Uh, and then there's a lot of there's a lot of different biases, right? Some of them are conscious, some of them are subconscious. Uh, some people have financial interest in supporting certain things, right? So mm -hmm. uh, you have to be careful with that. Uh, but I think the cool thing about science is, like I said, you know, ninety eight percent of you know that's thousands of people, right? There's probably hundreds of thousands of people that have read all these papers and have agreed so you know either there's this giant global conspiracy where you know these hundreds of thousands of people got together in one big room and Some decided people will say this <laughs> i know they will i know um you know and and decided to uh, fool everyone else in the world somehow you know or or they're well, i think i think what you're saying like Something uh, so like science, it, like you mentioned earlier, it changes over time, right? Mm -hmm. we, 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 what we know about carbon dating now is very different than what we thought 50 years ago. 20 Not very years different. Ago. It's updated. Yeah. It's updated. And that's okay. And I think as humans, we, we are very much um, change machines. Like we are, our brains are. However, we're really bad at reconciling that, that things can and do change. I, I think and, we actually side disagree with you. I think we suck at change. Like humans are creatures of habit. So once we have this notion in our head that, you know, black is black and white is white, um, we just we just do that. Um, you no, know, I mean, so it's interesting. So you're, I think you're right in that. Uh, I, I'm what I'm speaking to is our capacity for change. Yeah. Like the way we're our physiology works and our uh, we we are actually capable of great change, um, but yes, to your like. So this is the thing that we're kind of getting at here is like, so science updates and changes, and scientists, many scientists, most scientists embrace that, and not and not all. Like when we found out that the sun wasn't revolving around the earth, like there were a lot of scientists who weren't all about that life, and people actually lost their lives about for that. So to your point, like we don't we don't change well, yeah, um, and. You know, there, there's this this balance of like, all right, what's a fact? We're gonna research. We're gonna get to a point where we come to a consensus. Like a, a lot of a lot of invested people for different like different levels of investment. A lot of intelligent people are gonna put time and energy into this problem and come to a consensus. And then generally, we agree that this is the fact as we know it right now. It mm -hmm. may change next year. It yep. may update. But this is where we are now, and that's how the scientific community works. And it's fine. Like, sure, you're going to get people that are still dissenting. And you know what? They might be right in 20 years. But this is where we are right now. Like, Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, you know, another point to keep, you know, to make is that, you know, pre-1900s or pre-1800s, if you talk about physics, uh, science was very different. We didn't have mm -hmm. a scientific method, right? Right. So people, you know, Galileo was not... You know, he was a scientist, but 
others around him did not appreciate what a scientific method is. I think in, you know, 21st century and much of 20th century, we got a lot better at uh, doing science. Yeah. I mean, in, in the, and I think there, there are all these points. So I want to close on this uh, just because of time and everything, but like there is this reality that we as humans don't want to be the sucker. Yeah. So I don't want to be the one mm-hmm. that believes the thing that everybody says is true, but it's not right. Yeah. But that's okay. That's why science evolves because we still make 50 hypotheses a day that may be counter to the science that exists because mm-hmm. I want to test it and push it and try these things. And oh, it turns out science is right. Right. And, and, and it's not a, to mention, sorry, technology evolves and we can now test to the part to per the trillion, part per well, trillion instead that, of part per like, billion. And exactly. we evolve and we try these things and we continue. It doesn't make it, it, it makes it okay to say, I believe it. And I also believe it might change um, versus saying, nope, that's not true. I'm not going to be the oh. one that believes it and then be told I'm wrong. And I think we need to understand that fine balance because so many people just don't want to believe it because one person said it's wrong and I'm not going to be on the side of being a sheep. I'm not going to be yeah, a lemming, especially in America. Something, bro. Yeah. The yep. belief, like how people internal, like, believing in climate change like people internalize that yeah like it's like i believe in climate change like no man i just i believe the facts that have been presented to me right and yep. if new ones are presented i will believe those and like, so in the meantime like i believe that the facts have been presented to me that a mask and six feet apart prevents the spread if i so happen to have it to other people right so i'm just going to wear a mask because no one's telling me i need to cut off my nose right right? like i'm just going to wear a mask because that's what it is in six months from now if someone comes and says no masks really do zero to help anybody about anything it has nothing to do with it it's just six feet apart so you wore a mask for six months. I know, like, right? It's not a big deal. Like it's a, I agree they, with you. I think that's, you know, we, we, that's we, when it's a, this argument that's having just, you know, all this data, it's like, just wear a mask. Like, I know. What, what difference I mean, it's kind of make? the thing with climate change too. It's like, so if we try to reduce right. the pollution that we put out, like what's the harm in that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're still going to get healthier for sure. Yeah. Like it's going to, you know, help you breathe less asthma. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I tell you, okay, I see some economic things, but it's like at the same time, like we have a lot of money, like invest it, yep. be better to the, to the planet. So, um, this has been, I mean, from the beginning fun, just, this has been a good conversation and like, thank you for indulging on the, on your background and everything. Cause mm-hmm. I think it's really awesome to get to know you and your journey. Like we don't, we hear uh, generation zero in this country we don't hear a ton from right Uh, we don't i would say even in the national media we don't we hear you know i'm first generation uh you're you're zero generation your kids are first generation right so i think it's a really cool story especially when we tie it to the ideals of this season but as we wrap up as we're coming up on time we always have one question to ask and what that guy over there is going to ask it thank you this has been fun for, for me, uh, at the very least. What would you like to leave our audience with? Um, Your audience with? 
I would say, you know, like uh, what I said before, I think uh, just have an open mind, respect each other, but um, use facts to uh, facts, not Fox. Facts. <laughs> that gets to, real dicey real quick. Yeah, real quick. <laughs> use facts to uh, kind of, uh, you know, guide your, guide your uh, actions, you know, and the decision making. Um, and like we talked about, you know, facts can change, but facts as we know them today, um, use those and uh, be nice to people, respect each other. Um, just because people are different doesn't mean that uh, they're not nice or less equal than you. So just let's all be uh, good human beings.